This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the seventh chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. And with her was a large crowd from the town. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. And then he came forward and touched the pall, and the bears stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. And the dead man sat up, began to speak. Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on God's people. And this word about Jesus spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. The gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus himself risen from the dead and with the power to bring life. Amen. If Dr. Langneck was right last Sunday, and let me say up front, I think he was, um, there's a whole lot riding on Paul's argument in the book of Galatians. If you weren't here last week, let me make a case right now for our Lord of Life Church podcast. Um, Podcast. You can listen to the sermons. You can find them on the bottom left-hand side of the website, or you, you can sign up so that they come to you every week. And a shout-out of thanks to a worship tech team uh, and a sound team that, that every week is behind that soundboard, and to Ben Buss, who makes that possible on our website. Last week, we began a series on uh, the readings from Galatians. We, we called it Seven Weeks and Six Chapters in Paul's Letter to the Galatians. But I wasn't here. I was on vacation, or actually it was staycation, or as I came to call it throughout the week, Ann's chore list. <laughs> but I got a chance to listen. Preaching professor from Trinity Seminary, Dr. Langneck, was here with us last week, and he brought it. Um, he brought it. Um, if you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go to that podcast and listen to that, because it'll set up the next five weeks. What Dr. Langneck made so very clear was that Paul had this issue with a former congregation, a congregation that he had started, had a beef with the people of Galatia. And Hank described the issue as protecting the brand. The brand in which the congregation was formed was around the peace and love and grace and freedom of the gospel of Jesus And Paul believed that peace, real peace, comes only from God and is a gift from God and can never be earned. It's never part of the law. And yes, the law has been around forever. Yes, it was from God. Yes, a whole lot of religion, even most religion, even a lot of Lutheran religion is built on law, built on somehow trying to earn or deserve God's favor. But that's not the story. And when 
that little church in Galatia starts ever so subtly shifting over to the dark side of law. Paul has now what we call a social media moment. He puts quill to pen and fires off a letter that would not soon be forgotten. He began that letter last week. I'm surprised at how quickly you have turned from the gospel as if there were any other gospel. And I want to take a moment for a little digression there. That's a pretty big claim, as if there's no other gospel. By what authority could Paul say something like that, especially in the pluralistic world in which he lived? Well, he doesn't appeal to Scripture. That much is clear. Paul does not quote the Bible in order to prove the authority of Jesus. Scripture as we know it doesn't even exist at that moment. There's the law, the Torah, and there are the prophets. But that that's kind of it. We probably wrongly have called that the Old Testament. And Paul wrote dozens of these kind of fiery letters to congregations that he had served in. Clearly he had no idea that they would actually become Scripture. I think he would be surprised and maybe even embarrassed that they were repeated over and over and over again until eventually they are canonized into what we now call the New Testament. And those letters of Paul make up roughly 50% of the New Testament. Paul is not arguing, it didn't even exist then, that the gospel of Jesus is dependent upon Scripture. He's also not arguing that is you should believe it on the basis of the church or of tradition. He makes a point of saying that, you know, I didn't get any of this gospel stuff from any human being, much less from the church. And he says, after I got it, I didn't go south to Jerusalem. I went north to Syria, to Arabia. It was three years before I even went to talk to Peter and Cephas. And I'm not just espousing the party line. And I'm not just passing on dogma. No, no, no. He says, I, I got it directly from God who called me and by grace revealed to me his son, the Christ. Now, I, I don't know how you heard that when, when Christine read that part, but that makes me a little nervous. Personal revelation. I once heard Pastor Craig Swanson ask in a sermon that have you ever noticed that when someone tells you God spoke to them that they never follow it with that I was wrong? (laughs) Personal revelation? Sticky stuff. How do I know what I know? Why do I believe what I believe? By what authority? And you don't need me to give you a list of the atrocities that are done in the name of God in the world. Cruelty, coercion, intimidation, intolerance, bigotry, bloodshed, all done because someone has revealed to them what it is that they know about God. Now here's the thing. Paul really understands that. Paul gets that. In fact, that's actually Paul's story. And it might sound at first when you just hear that lesson out of context 2,000 years later, you know, just listen to me. I know all the right answers. But the actual argument that he's making is, listen to me because I don't know any of the answers. And I never knew any of the answers. And I'm not ever going to know any of the answers. The first chapter 
Again, out of context, sounds like somebody writing this religious resume, but that's not the way you write a resume. Before his conversion, Paul is a violent religious fanatic. In Acts 7, he supports the stoning of Stephen. Now, that's something we probably don't cover in our Stephen ministry training, that even loving your neighbor is enough to make a religious fanatic go off on you. Breathing threats of murder, it says in Acts 8, Paul collaborates with religious authorities in tracking down followers of Jesus, dragging men, women, and children out of their homes into the streets and stoning them to death. That's Paul. Paul did that in the name of God, in the name of tradition, in the name of Scripture, and they all knew that, including Paul. And here's the movement of the entire book of Galatians. Here's the, here's the cliff note of the whole thing. Paul begins by saying, look, I know who I am and I know what I did and I know who you are and I know what you do. But by the time he gets to the fifth chapter, he will describe all true religion with just five words. And the five words are not disparage everyone who disagrees with you. The five words are, love your neighbor as yourself. In chapter 6, right before he signs off, he says, don't you ever grow weary of taking opportunity to do good to people. And, and the whole book begins with that little resume today. It's all, and, and honestly, it's part of every letter Paul ever wrote. This is how he said to the Galatians, you've heard the previous way of life, my way of life in Jerusalem, how I intensely persecuted the church, how I tried to destroy it. Look, I was advancing in Judaism ahead of everyone, Jews of my own age. I was zealous for all the traditions. He bragged to the Philippians as the zeal. Hey, I persecuted the church. Haunted by his memories years later, he confessed to Timothy that he regretted that he was once a blasphemer and a persecutor. In his words, a violent aggressor. He told the Corinthians that he didn't even deserve to be called an apostle because he was the least of all the apostles because of his manic violence. And that's the danger of just hearing a little peace and worship and why we like to spend weeks sometimes with, with whole pieces of Scripture. Because we, we know Paul as Paul, St. Paul. You know what the most frequent name of a Lutheran church is? St. Paul Lutheran Church. But that's not the way the early church knew him. The early church knew him. That's Paul, who used to be Saul. And we all know about Saul. When Paul first met Jesus, when he first believed, his first response was to hide in shame. Even he could not believe that God would love someone like him much less that God could use someone like him, that anyone would listen to someone who had done what he had done. And so he he runs not south to Jerusalem, he runs north to Syria and Cilicia, where he says he was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, but they knew my reputation. In Acts 9, when he finally goes to Jerusalem, he says... He tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of me. They couldn't believe that I was really a disciple. 
Now let me make sure that you're getting this. Here's what a whole lot of religion does. It tries to prove its authority through some form of them and us. By deifying some, demonizing others. Some form of good gals, bad gals. God's beloved, not God's beloved. And that appeals to the ugly side of the human condition. Whether spewing hate at people of different colors or cultures or genders or orientations, whether peddling junk science or no science at all, the world is flat. Whether blowing themselves up and everyone else with them, whether coddling for political or economic power in the empire, it is never pretty stuff. But when Paul experiences the peace of God in Christ Jesus, he goes the exact opposite direction. He goes from violent aggression to anyone who disagrees with him to extravagant grace and radical inclusion and relentless compassion. Before turning to the next chapter, what Paul wants to do is he wants to nail the argument down. He wants to make sure we understand the rock on which we are built. That it's not about us and it's not about what we do. And it's not about them and us. It's about God and God's love and God's grace. The only thing they heard about me, he says, is that I'm the one who formerly persecuted the church. And now I'm proclaiming the very faith I tried to destroy. And I, I don't think that surprised anyone more than it surprised Paul. He puts it out there. Uh, and it's not a boast. It's just the opposite. Can you believe it, he says? They glorify God because of me? So if it's not the law, and it's not scripture, and it's not tradition, and it's not the church, what is authoritative for religious people? How do you know who's telling the truth about God? Jesus connected loving God with loving your fellow human beings. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus didn't create that he didn't create that connection. Frankly, that's part of every true religion. And it's a deep and central part of Judaism. What he did was model it. On a cross in Jerusalem, not to make God love us, but to remind us that God does love us and always has loved us. And that became so embedded in the early Christian community that it gets repeated verbatim by Paul, not once, but twice in Romans and in Galatians, and is canonized, I think, most memorably of all by John, who said, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his sisters and brothers, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother or sister whom they can see, cannot love God whom they can't see. And God has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. I don't know that anybody was more surprised 
to be lifted up last night by the human rights campaign at their formal annual gala at the Ohio Union. Um, those of you who know me well, it, it takes a lot for me to go to the Ohio Union. <laughs> I had never been there before. Probably doesn't surprise you, there's a lot of scarlet and gray. <laughs> to sit in a room with hundreds of people, LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, whose primary experience of religion, of the church, has at the very least not been good, and perhaps even bigotry an exclusion, or worse. And to be lifted up by them as a congregation, and, and look, we, we're not Saddleback, we're, we're not Willow Creek, I'm not Joel Osteen, and you know, before we were welcoming, we were not welcoming. And lifted up for what? For trying to love our neighbors the way we know that God loves us? I'm thankful to Chris Buss and Tim and Kelly Weekers and Ann who joined me. And I think I understand Paul now better than I have ever understood him before. Paul writes in total disbelief, can you believe it? They glorify God because of us. Paul's not saying, look at me, look at what I've done, look at what we've done. Paul is saying, forget about me. Focus on the one, the one who brings peace. Focus on the one who brings hope. We love because God first loved us. And if I have to tell my story, how Jesus came to me, least of all disciples, chief of all sinners, then so be it. Because it is about God. It is about God's grace. And it always has been. It always will be. It is not in Jim's name. It is not in Paul's name. It is not in Lord of Life Lutheran Church's name. It is in Jesus' name that we can say confidently, Peace be upon you all. Amen.